Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So, talking tonight, I'm going to finish up my little handout on resources. I know, I'm powering through, I'm powering through, because I need, I want to get to my last two, the last two services I'm going to preach this year, so. Can you believe it's the end of 2023? What in the world happened? It's been a good year, but um, I have been talking on resources for a long time. I started this message on the on stewarding his abundance in September. Can you believe that? And we've meandered our way through these 15 resources and I just invite you to um, advance your growth in all the resources of God. Obviously, there's more than 15 resources, but have you enjoyed it? I think it's really increased our understanding of all that has just been lavishly supplied. You didn't even have to do anything. Now we just have to learn how to get it all and use it all, manage it all well. You know, God is such a good father. He would never put more on us than we could manage. (laughs) Right? You want more money? Let's see. I, I got a scripture for you, I think. Let me see if I do. Where did I find that? Proverbs 3. If you want wisdom, read Proverbs. It says, Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring Him with your first fruits. I think I said that on Sunday. With every increase that comes to you. First fruits and every increase. Thank you, Lord, for those bonuses. And there's my tithe. There's my offering right there, right? It says, then, say then. Then. Don't you love God? He says, if, then, right? Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Oh, see, I learned that a long time ago. You know, I remember when I was a girl, um, we had a yard that was quite large. We lived right next to I-35 in Moore, America, next to the Dykus Camp Clinic, across from the Moore School's football field. I had a whole football field to play on, and we did. We just crawled right through the through the gate, and I was thin then, and we... It would crawl through the gate, and we played whatever we wanted to play on this huge football field. It was glorious. It was an abundance. And I used to mow the yard because, you know, I'm a double tasker, so it was good for $3. And I remember I'd bring my 30 cents to church, and I'd bring my extra dime to find somebody who needed it. That was in the 1800s. A dime meant something. And I've never not tithed in 60 years. And so I just encourage you to be a giver because you want the then. You want the then part, right? We have testimony after testimony in here of people who are diligent, who never had given a dime in their life. They didn't even know that thing existed. So, you know, I want to just encourage you to do things God's way. And I wanted to prove my message from Sunday for you there. So I just, I didn't look it up, but it just stumbled into my lap this week. I wanted to start tonight with Hebrews 1. Cece had this amazing dream last night, and I was going to talk about these last three resources anyway, but I think that I'm promising her that what she dreamed about has to do with what I'm going to talk about. She doesn't know it yet, so y'all can just pray for her to pay attention to what I'm saying before she gets up to talk. Hebrews 1.3, it says, The Son, say the Son, S-O-N, is the, is the S-O-N. Okay. Is a radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God. Reflecting, this is the Amplified, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being, the brilliant light of the divine. Didn't they just sing about all that? The exact representation and perfect imprint of His Father's essence. I love that line. Listen, without you knowing it, you were imprinted on growing up. You know that? You're imprinted on by 
the things that you were demonstrated. It's an imprinting. You know, I've told this story a lot in here, but they say there's a study where they took an eagle and they stuck it with some chickens. And the eagle never learned to fly, even though it could. And we agree an eagle can fly. And you don't see a lot of chickens flying up in the mountaintops, do you? Have you ever seen a chicken up in Colorado flying over the mountain? They have a different purpose. Have you been to Colorado? There's beautiful birds there. And so when we are meant to be eagles that soar, meant to be eagles that that challenge one another, right? Do you remember that story I told you about the eagle and when it's molting season, other eagles come and pluck the living daylights out of their, pluck them down to nothing. Why? Because something better's coming. We should do that for each other. Pluck our old dead stuff off of each other. Right? That's what we want. Why? Because something better's coming. The more mature feathers coming. The one that I can soar a little higher than I did last year. That's really the purpose, right? Of leaders leading leaders. So Jesus is the perfect imprint of the Father's essence. That's really, let me tell you, at the end of the day, this abundance mindset teaches us this one thing that I am meant to teach others the resources of the Father. You know, the Father was a creator, and so he demonstrated his ability to create by what? Creating. So he created, and then we said of him, he's a creator, right? right? And he's a provider, right? So he provides... And so he provided love. He provided all, I've been talking about all these resources. So we say about him, he's what? He's a provider. So when we say about him, he's a father, what does he need to prove his fatherhood? Sons and daughters. He needs sons and daughters. He needs a child to father. And the child say, I've been fathered by the father to prove to humanity he's a good father. So your life, the more you ingest and get imprinted what Jesus was imprinting, the essence of the Father, what a great line, that I begin to demonstrate to others who the Father is. All my orphanness just proves there's an enemy. It just proves the same thing over and over. Orphans think small, they are entitled. Aren't they weird? (laughs) I I heard Bill say this today that jealousy and entitlement and bitterness work hand in hand. So when I have resentment and bitterness, and we all could have it. We get it from the disappointment. We get it from... I am, this has been a weird week. I've had probably four or five stories that have come to me in some way, form, or fashion about young teenage boys, I'm talking 14, 15, 16 year olds, saying about their parents what a horrible job they did. And they're still young men. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, but you don't know the whole story. Only story you know is the entitlement, rebellious version of childhood parenting. You don't know the whole story. And see, whenever that disappointment, it robs you from the courage to believe it could be different. And so then you begin to lower the standard of what's possible. And weirdly, we begin to create scenarios where the lowest standard's possible. And then we lower that down a little bit more. That's what our orphans do. But see, the Father is a redeemer of all those disappointments. That's why Jesus is what's saying. He's the perfect imprint. So when I receive Jesus, I receive the desire to be a son. Yeah. 
daughter. I receive the desire to be fathered. The more that I receive the love of the father, the more I don't need the love of a natural person. It's true. I know you don't know. But the more I receive the love of the father, then I realize I am here to transform society to be loved by the father. I only want to do what I see the Father doing. And what is the Father always doing? He's always loving humanity. So I'm not sitting here as a target. Who's going to love me? Who's going to love me? Oh, no, you didn't love me good today. No, I don't like you anymore. Are you going to love me good? Are you going to let? No, you're a disappointment too. Now, I don't even look at people that way. I'm like, oh, oh, you're an orphan, aren't you? Remember what I said Sunday? I'll hold on to this because this is the love of God and I'll reach. I'll reach. You got to come a little. Yeah, until I can pull her to the love of God. That's my, that becomes my new job. And so I don't look at her as a deficiency towards me. I look at her as a deficiency of this because I've tasted and seen. Of a love that's better than anything. And so I don't need you to give me what I found here. I need you to have a sip. Come sip of this love that's better than anything. And so then you're not a disappointment to me. There's nothing about you. There's nothing about y'all that's a disappointment to me. I'm just trying to give you all tonight a drink of this thing I've tasted. And I'm telling you, it's real, it's long-lasting, it's satisfying, it's goodness, it's unending. You can never get enough. You don't need to go to refill because He's full. And then it fills up, and I begin to imprint on you. Every one of you in here have been imprinted by me. Imprinted because I said it Sunday, I have experience. I've walked with him. I've talked with him. I know him as my very own. You can't change my mind. No matter, you could criticize me and hate on me and be offended by me. But see, I've tasted. And there's not anything you can do or say. There's no argument. There's no, you can make fun of me. You can do whatever, but I've tasted So every word that comes out of your mouth tells me whether you've tasted too. If you've tasted, we'll begin to sound like the Father. We'll begin to protect the mission of the Father, which is what? To reveal God so loved. God so loved what He made. He made it to be with it. He made it to father it. He made it to display Him. He didn't have some hidden agenda. He's not trying to get you to work for Him. He's not trying to punish you. He's so not mad tonight. He's so loved. He could never be mad at what He made. He so loves and He's inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting us what? To become a temple for Him. That's what it says. A dwelling place. Ephesians 2. It says, you're not foreigners or guests. Have you ever been a guest somewhere? See, when people come to my house, I say, make yourself at home. I mean, Aaron has got this whole thing. He comes over. He's like, he's like a waiter. I don't know. He's got a thing on his phone where he knows everyone's coffee order. He knows how I take my tea. He knows how many scoops of Splenda or sugar or or half and half or the special vanilla creamer or that oat almond crap that, I'm sorry, that Sewell likes. I'm sorry. It just, he knows it all. And all he has to say was, can I make you a cup of coffee? He knows where the machine is. He knows where all the cups are. You know, we've got those 12 machines because we have eight people and they don't like the same coffee. And so everybody has to have their own special machine. He knows it all. He's wrote it down. Pam needs one of those from that special machine. She's going to have that special coffee with those ground up beans. Lynn's got to have her cometeer. It's frozen over there. She's got to defrost it. I mean, he knows it all. Why? Because he's invested in serving. 
He doesn't come. He, he doesn't come over. I don't, I don't need to say to him, son, you need to wait on all these people. <laughs> See, when you've tasted of what I'm talking about, your heart is just leaning in. Where can I deposit this thing that I've experienced? Where can I deposit? We're not foreigners or guests, but we're children. We have all the rights of family members of the household of God. You are rising up like perfectly fitted stones of a temple and your lives have been built up together upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. You see, that's been the greatest shift in, the, in your lifetime in the last 20 years Apostolic churches have been raised up. How many apostolic churches did you know, Colleen, as a child? I knew zero. In the last 20, 25 years, think of it. The foundation that you're looking for, God reestablished it on, church, on earth so that you could be today in an apostolic house. It doesn't feel like a pastor-led house, does it? Does it? Everyone that comes in here wants it to be a pastor-led house. Because why? It's been imprinted. That's all we were in. That's all we knew. We didn't know there was another way. We didn't know what we were missing. We don't, still today, probably half of you don't even know what it is. But it's unfolding. Because it says, because you're connected to the head cornerstone of the building. Who? Who's the head cornerstone? Jesus. Who's the head cornerstone of the apostolic prophetic church? Jesus. It says this entire building is under construction. What's the building he's talking about? The church. The ecclesia. Your building is making up the building of the church called the Ecclesia on earth today, reforming it. That's who you are. Every single one of you that's hearing my voice right now, that's who you are. You may not like it. You may be horrible at it. In fact, you probably are. When you first start out, you think it just going to look a different way. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. You do. You just think you come in, you're just like, this is going to look this way, and I want to do it. It says you're under construction. Listen, I've lived under construction (laughs) in every house I've bought. Why? Because the first thing that I see when I see the house, listen, my very first house I bought when I was single after I got divorced was this little house and more. And it was $45,000 back in 1995, let's say, somewhere five or six. And the first thing we did is we painted the living room gold lame. I've waited since then for gold to come back in. And here it is. (laughs) Guess what color hardware I put on my new island? Gold lame. I haven't had gold in 30-something years, whatever that adds up to. But listen, everything's under construction. Everything repeats itself. And so as you're under construction, you've got to keep going under construction. The mindset that you establish today is to get you to the next step. You're going to need a new mindset to make another step. Don't act like the mind. I mean, have you ever had a profound mindset shift? Can you name one? Mine was God doesn't use sickness in any way. All sickness is of the devil. Let's say it out loud together. All sickness is of the devil. How many have believed that their whole life? No one. Why? 
Okay, you don't count because you were a heathen. Just kidding. I'm kidding. Cece, she's, she's always with it. It's rare. Let's go with that. It's really rare. Why? Because we weren't taught. We were worried God was using that. All, all people raised in religion thought God used yeah. sickness. Yeah. We didn't realize that our sickness is connected to our emotional man. Yes. Did you know they're proving 90%, maybe 99, I heard just recently, 99% of all sickness is from an emotional issue. Wow. What if that's true? What if it's true? What if? I mean, I want to explore that that's true, so what would I focus on more? Healing our, our soul. Remember that thing we tried to kick out? We called it so bad. We kicked it to the curb. Come on, we did. So you're under construction. Say, I'm under construction. Turn to your neighbor and say, listen, I'm under construction. I'm not finished yet. Tell them. Say, I'm not finished yet. So, you know, I might have some baseboards not down. I might have a couple of doors that are not on the hinges. Okay, so just wait. Wait on me. Listen to this. I'm continually growing under His supervision. Listen, if you're married, your spouse is not moving at the rate you want. If you're a teenager, your family is kicking butt slow. I mean, they are so slow. They're not making stuff happen for you like you want. Why? It's human nature. Whoever I'm up next against, I'm like, listen, I've had it with Cece. When I invited her, God told me to invite her to collab with me. Did you know the very first time she wrote a word of the year with me, we were up all night. I remember where we were at the upper room all night writing it because it was the first time. Her pace is not my pace. But see, when God invites us to collab, because this is an indicator, His pace is not my pace. When He invites us to collab, I yield. If you can't learn to yield with a person, it's going to be super hard to yield with God because His pace is completely Godlike. So I'm continually growing under His supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord Himself. This is the construction process that God is overseeing in your life. Because why? He made you to be a dwelling place. It says right here, verse 22. This means that God is transforming you into the Holy of Holies, His dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Yes. That's His goal. Yes. That's God's goal. You just got to make that solid. You got to make that part of your foundation. He has a pace. He has a way He does it. Your job is what? Yield. Yield, yield, yield. Yield His pace. Because that's what he's doing. It's so good. You should read Ephesians 2. It's an incredible chapter on this whole process. And listen, the beautiful part about you is that God invited you to be amongst leaders because he sees you as a leader. Wow. I would say wow. Wow. The first thing I have to learn to lead is one little thing. Right here. This one little thing of mine. I think I wrote a little thing about it today. Let's see if I did. He always starts with the basics. Your time, your earnings, your heart. What you have, what you make, what you act like. He always starts with that. How many know that? You know, Pam's favorite line is, can you lift a one-pound weight? What's the one-pound weight? Get up on time. Take a shower. Brush your teeth. You know, that's as little children, that's what our parents hope we do. Hope we don't poop in our pants anymore. Hope we can go to the bathroom, put toothpaste on the toothbrush, actually do something with it. 
Because these can rot. It's a one-pound weight. Then we get to where we have to wash our hair. And we have to manage that. Have to buy shampoo. I found the best shampoo if you want to know. I found it. Just saying. I've searched for 60 years. I found it. The goal of this building up process is for me to become something for him. I just think that sounds glorious. What a cool creation. And as we know, this resource is constructed within us through this process of maturing. And how does the maturing occur? I just read it on Sunday. It's from the word. I align, align my heart with the word over and over and over again. Proverbs is such a great place to start. I always say, if you've not read the Bible, read Proverbs and read John. It's too, really, it, John's written from a love perspective. Proverbs has, I mean, every single line is great instruction. The other thing that I want to talk about tonight is this community that we're in. I've just been alluding to it a little bit. Let's read it from Romans 12. It says, God's marvelous grace, Romans 12, 6, imparts to each of us varying gifts. I spent a lot of weeks on the gifts of the Spirit. So if God has given you the grace gift prophecy, activate your gift by using it in proportion to your faith to prophesy. I like the Life Application Bible. It says, prophets are often bold and articulate. So if you're a prophet, if you know you have a prophetic calling, how do you learn to be bold? you got to be underneath the canopy of covering, right? That's how you be bold. And how are you articulate? You practice. You get feedback. Don't say, I had seen somewhere. You get feedback. On your vocab, right? One of the great ways we have around here is that we have a group of people take sermon notes. Cece oversees that because she's the best writer I know. She's very good at vocabulary. She's very good at communication. And she says, what is that sentence? <laughs> and I may have said it just like that. But the great thing about Cece is she says it. She writes it. To where it makes sense. I'm a fragmented, sen- fragmented, sen- fragmented sentence talker. And unashamed of it. I start a story, I don't finish it. Not ashamed by that. That's why I don't call myself a prophet. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, it goes on. It talks about all these gifts. It says servers. This is the life application. You can read that chapter. Servers are faithful and loyal. Teachers are clear thinkers. Encouragers know how to motivate others. Givers are generous and trusting. Leaders are good organizers and managers. Those who show kindness are caring for people who are happy to give their time to others. It would be difficult for one person to embody all of these gifts. That's why he made a body. Listen, in our line of work, we have just such a perfect picture of this because everybody is better at something different. Except for say, well, she's good at everything. But everybody is good at something different. Why? God made us that way. That's why we have to have diversity. I talked about it on Sunday. Unify with someone not like you, and you're covered on all the places you're weak. That was the intention of marriage. We try to make change everybody to be like us. We forgot the covering part. We forgot that where I'm weak, they're strong. Where they're weak, I'm strong. We're like, no, be like me. Be like me. Make me feel comfortable in all my weaknesses. No. It's a cover. That's the body is the same way. Where there's no needs among us. It's not just financial. It's functional. I can do a lot of stuff. I I know I can do a lot of stuff. I'm good at a lot of stuff, but I'm not good at everything. 
And so I surround myself with people that are super good at what I'm not good at. Why? Because the whole, the whole thing needs to function. It needs to be a functioning entity. I own a business that I've owned for 32 years. I have a ministry that I've been a part of in some way for the last 20-something years. And to keep it going, did you know it's super rare for a woman-run business to be going for 30 years? There's statistics on it. Why? Because they're cat fighters. <laughs> They get, they have in, they get, they get so, so nitpicky. Women are nitpicky. They're picky butts. But see, when you come into the yielding of the Holy Spirit, you're breathing, you're breathing. I mean, you think Pam and I haven't had to adjust some stuff for 32 years? Lord, we are nothing the way we were. I see people that I knew from old churches that I knew I used to be just like them. And I'm like, I used to talk like that. Yeah. I used to talk. I, I used to not know how to honor. I used to not know how to encourage. But see, he's put us together to what? To build what? The ecclesia. You're not going to build it when you're not honoring. You're not going to build it when you're jealous. You're not going to build it when you have some sort of judgment about everything everybody's doing. And you like to tell everybody how they're not doing everything right. You're not building. You're tearing down. You know, the last thing before Cece comes I want to talk about real quick is precious promises. Now, why did I say precious? Because it says it in the Word. Second Peter, let's read it. In, in, the, in the Amplified, it says precious in the TPT. I can't think of that net right now. Passion, sorry, I was like, what does TPT stand for? Um, it says magnificent, but the same thing. It says everything you could ever need, I read the scripture all the time, for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by divine power. For all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by his name and invited us to come to him through this glorious manifestation of what? His goodness. As a result of this, he's given you many magnificent or precious promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous precious promises, we can experience partnership. Now, I've heard, I haven't looked this up for myself, but there's 7,700 promises of God in the Bible. 7,700-ish. Is that a lot? Yes. 77. God loves the number seven. Yes, and see, the pro I like this statement. The promises are another way that God invites us to dream in a relational journey. Listen, the promises are connected to dreams. If you stop dreaming... You don't know how to dream anymore. Look up promises. Your dream life will come back to life. And it's an invitation from him to co-labor with him to reveal his nature. Listen, this is how God does it. God knew that we would have injury. Now, some people that messes them up. That makes them think that God's not good. And we can all shake our heads and be like, oh no. But really, honestly, C.S. Lewis talks about pain is the problem. How we view pain. Because we don't want to have pain. And most of us weren't taught that the promise is bigger than the pain. Most of us thought the pain preempted the promise. As soon as I have pain, I missed it. As soon as I have pain, it's not it. As soon as I have pain, it's disappointing. I, that God, where's God? He's right there. I, I like to think of it like this. This may not be right, but just go with me on my little journey. This really helped me get out of religion. That God created the earth. And 
he put Adam and Eve on it. And I think he communed with Adam and Eve. And I think Lucifer saw the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. And I think that's when he said, I will be like God. That's what Lucifer said. And the pride in Lucifer's heart became so big that his own pride cast him out of the presence of God. And there wasn't no place else for him to go. But God was so convinced about his relationship with humanity, he knew Lucifer would not be a threat. It's my little journey. You can go with me, right? And so then Lucifer was cast cast through the earth, became Satan. And what did he do? He began to make humanity question who they were to God. And and that, that is still being used today. Every single one of you, if you had harm in your childhood, you begin to question why your parents did what your your mindset of what your parents did is askewed. But if you're a parent, (laughs) it all changes. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I see what was going on. And I mean, like, I I you you become almost prideful then. You're like, oh, I'm doing good, and I'm doing good. See, it's the experience of another kind that opens our eyes to the part that we're blind to. Maybe you don't get what I'm saying. And so he's looking for cooperation with him so that I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, my connection to him through me accepting Jesus, the nature of God gets revealed through how I act. I then become a co-laborer with God to transform orphans into sons. You remember when you first tasted sonship, V? There's nothing like it. And you can tell. We ache for people to touch the hymn of sonship. Because then it changes everything. And you and, and see if you're a son, you can hear through the language of another. Oh. You haven't connected to the promise. Because see, God doesn't change his mind. The seventy seven hundred promises true at the beginning of time, which was before you got here, I don't know if you know. True today. If you can't dream anymore, if you think your life's over, if you think you missed it, you don't know the promises. Because see, God planted within you a calling, a destiny, a reason to be on the planet, whatever word you want to put on it. And He will breathe on it forever, no matter what the enemies try to do, and He will try to destroy it. Look back at your life. Where did he come in and hurt you? Where did you stub your toe? Where did you mess up? Where did you think you're not lovable? Where did you get disappointed? Where did someone die and it crushed you and you just don't think you can live anymore? Where did you become socially awkward? All of those things are from the enemy. I mean, Cece stands up here, a highly sensitive person. They They have labels for it now. She's a HSP. She's a double introvert. But did you hear her Sunday? Yeah. Fire was coming out of her mouth. I have a picture of her when she first came and she worshipped like this. But that's not that girl that was singing a so low and singing low. When we got here tonight, I said, you're going to have to sing the low part, oh, I don't know if I can. Oh, you can. No one told her she had perfect pitch. She had this huge range. No one knew. But see, out of the heart of a child, she believed me. And one day you're going to believe me too. And your life's going to be transformed. And the imprinting of the Holy Spirit is going to change your language 
going to change the way you speak to people. It's going to change the reason you show up. It's going to change. See, the, she's a prophet. I'm not. So when she steps up here, she's giving and releasing a prophetic word to you. She's releasing what a prophetic word does is it infuses you with the ability to change. And so what she's releasing tonight is birth from years and years and years of meditating and writing and meditating and writing and battling and battling and battling and overcoming and overcoming and overcoming to what? To display his heart. You're looking at a life that was imprinted with atheism, that was imprinted with judgment and criticism from a Jezebel spirit to a life that's been completely transformed. And so that's that's what he's offering you too. No one's no one's missed it. You're breathing right. You're breathing right. You're breathing right. Come on, Cece. Thank you, Tisa. Okay, y'all, I have a fun dream. A fun dream. And we'll see if we can put the pieces together, together, okay? So this dream was crazy. I'm going to tell you how it, how it happened, how I experienced it. I, I dreamt the dream, and then I dreamt about writing the story of the dream, which filled me with excitement. And then I dreamt more about the story and then I went back into dreaming about writing the story and then I dreamt more about the story and I was so excited that by the time my alarm went off I was like popping out of bed like yeah I get to write it I get to write it and that is if you know me that's a miracle okay I don't wake up like that rarely rarely do I wake up that way but there are people praying for me and laying hands on me before bed every night (laughs) (laughs) we can hope and pray it was a great thing so anyways this interesting thing's been happening where I'll I'll have these feelings and and with the dream that once I start writing the dream out they don't match and so I really have to seek the Holy Spirit to say what are you saying through this so I'm gonna I wrote this story out of the dream and then uh, Tisa and I kind of broke it down and discussed it a little bit and then I went to write some notes about my takeaway points of from the dream. And then I, instead of writing notes though, I found myself writing again, like in a very descriptive way. And I felt like it was all prophetic. And I felt like the prophetic, the dream is prophetic to show a different kind of imprinting where I know it reflects where I came from and where I think a lot of us come from when we are imprinted on in a way other than what was God's design for us to be imprinted with. And what that looks like when you are an adult and on your way to pursue your own destiny. And, you know, as, as Tisa was talking, there's something that has to happen. And the prophetic does this for us where sometimes what's been built up around you, within you, because remember, we are actually by design all a construction project. So it begs the question, what has been built up over the course of your life? What was constructed in your years on earth up to this point. Because if even if you're not built into a temple for God, you were built into something. So we aren't nothing. We're built into something. And so, um, oh, Lord, don't let me, let me lose my train of thought. So this, um, So what has to happen is sometimes what's been built up around us and in us is our operating system. We don't even see it necessarily for what it is it's just our normal and a lot of times the prophetic has to hit that with a hammer like a hammer you know and and break it just like I've seen the Desrim team do demo at a house like if they're taking out a countertop they don't cut the countertop out perfectly and take the whole thing out in one big piece they just hit it with a giant hammer and get it into pieces that are small enough that it can be carried out, you know. And that's what God has to do sometimes is just hammer on something to break it enough so that we can start to see those pieces and choose um, differently when he prompts us to how to partner with a new building project, what he's wanting to do in us. And so this dream paints the picture of one girl's, a daughter's um, journey 
in that process at the beginning of her journey. And she has some, some important choices to make. So I'm going to read the dream as I wrote it. Okay. Whoops. Okay. So there's a man and his daughter, he's raising his daughter. They liked to go swimming in the seaweed together. His wife, the little girl's mother, liked to run this sort of radar that would scan the atmosphere and display colors on a screen, according to what was in the atmosphere, to show her daughter. The daughter delighted in the colors, but the radar, and it seems displays of color, were somehow illegal. Eventually, the little girl's mother got into trouble with the law for these displays of color. She was labeled and supposed to be banished, essentially, by society. People were not supposed to interact with her, even the daughter. The daughter grew and became an adult and no longer went swimming in the seaweed with her dad, choosing to swim elsewhere in the water. She still interacted with her parents, but more discreetly because her mom had been banished and they weren't supposed to be seen interacting with her. The man seemed to wither and fade out of life over time. He swam by himself in the seaweed and seemed to grow more and more sickly. The daughter was now living her adult life, and the mother would often attend some of the same events in public and sit off to the side by herself. But she and the daughter would exchange knowing glances occasionally, even though the daughter acted like she had no interaction with the banished woman. The banishment took a toll, but it was loosely followed and over the years was barely regarded. More and more, it seemed that their interactions were less concealed, and even others would almost forget that they weren't supposed to talk to the woman. The mother became so relaxed in honoring the rules of the banishment that at some point the law came down on her again for violating it. This time, the law enforcers showed up at her house and sentenced her and the husband to what they called being muted. It involved having a plexiglass type of helmet put on them that encased the head with a panel that came down in front of the face over the eyes, nose, and mouth. The helmet then attached to a panel that was a little wider than their body that covered the front of their body and another that covered their back. They were essentially encased in plexiglass but could not move, but could still move and have airflow. Contact, even their own, was cut off from their own head and body as they couldn't reach even themselves. And what they saw or tried to speak was hindered by plexiglass. Contact with, they couldn't even touch their own head or face anymore. And they couldn't see clearly because they had to view everything through plexiglass. They were left that way to live out their lives. This was the sentence. They were left that way to live out their lives, which would slowly erode away as their bodies and the plexiglass deteriorated. Even their vision would be blocked by scratched and deteriorated plexiglass over their eyes. The man seemed to accept defeat and succumb to the sentence, but the woman soon fought against it and in a panic destroyed her plexiglass encasing, ripping it off of herself. Having done so, elevated her sentence to an immediate death, death sentence by the authorities. She took off running in nothing but the peasant-like gown she had been stripped down to. No one would help her because she had been marked by that gown, and everyone knew the level of her sentence had reached the highest level. The daughter ran at times to try to help her mom, but didn't know how to help or what to do. The woman scrambled and fought all along the way until she looked more like a wild animal covered in scratches and caked in mud and was shot dead by her hunters. The man's sentence was removed since it was connected to the woman who was now dead. He returned to swimming in the seaweed, although he acted like he had a terminal illness. The daughter began to swim in the seaweed with him again. That's the dream. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh. 
Okay, I'm going to read what came out of me as I sat down. Like I said, I started to write just notes of interpreting the dream for myself and to see what came of it. And all of this is what flowed out of that, okay? I said that uh, the law in the dream, the law displays, the law against displays of color, which to me, color represents emotion. Okay, so the law in the dream against displays of color represents the religious spirit that tries to outlaw and suppress God's design of the human heart. It's common for people to have two different reactions to living under this law. Some shut down, close off emotions, reject God, and accept a life of swimming in the seaweed or the weeds, which represent the lies propagated by the enemy. Others rebel against it, insisting on aggressive displays of their unrefined heart and soul, as if that will break the restricting religious spirit. They blindly rage against the oppression without submitting themselves to God's plan for how to live in true freedom. In doing so, they actually feed the power of the religious spirit to condemn them. Both reactions lead to a preoccupied life dominated by the enemy's agenda rather than stepping into their God-designed destiny and purpose. Raised in this environment and the consequences of both of her parents' chosen paths, the daughter in the dream launches into her own adult life conditioned to live a double-minded masquerade. She knows that she doesn't want to swim in the weeds any longer, but also that valuing the color of life can have dangerous outcomes. She wants to risk mingling her own colors with society, but ever present in the shadows is the bitter training of resentment towards the culture and the reminder of the danger in, in confronting it. Operating in their own ambiguity towards the laws of the land, those that she meets outside the walls of her family home offer little to no direction. As she spends her time and energy navigating the landmines on this road to nowhere, she watches the prison walls grow around her parents. Somehow, despite the extreme difference between her parents' reactions to the law against color, both paths led to the same sentence. Their own beliefs, those that they thought unseen and insignificant, eventually hardened around them. Encased in this prison, their vision diminished with the passage of time, and they grew further and further out of touch with even themselves. But even these more obvious consequences didn't change the course of any of their lives. The raging fight inside the woman still led to her ultimate demise. The man was released from the confines of his encasing because ultimately it was no different than the destiny he'd already chosen of swimming in the seaweed. Whether encased or relegated to swimming in lies, Either way, he was far from living his God design. The daughter is witnessing firsthand the destination of both of her parents' lives. Now ask yourself if you can identify with the daughter, okay, in the dream. The daughter is witnessing firsthand the destination of both her parents' lives. Will she realize the far cry between a destination and a destiny? It's a good question we should be asking ourselves, right? Will the absence of purpose in their reactions to the law that binds fuel a hunger within to find true meaning for her life? Or will she continue to be driven by winds of doctrine that came from their minds? There's one who came to light her way, to offer hope and truth and direction in life. He is the one who is and always will be, and he has prepared a destiny for those who seek. Will she invite him in to crush the false narrative of religion, 
to silence the voice that has plagued the previous generations? Will she cry out for redemption and repayment in full for all the color that was stolen from them? Will she cling to him at all times for the sake of it? Or will she attempt with empty hands to rescue those on the bitter path and return to swimming among the weeds and dross? It's a, the Holy Spirit has this incredibly cool way of making a story help us see our own situation, our own circumstances in life that would otherwise just be our normal. You know, it's that's why it's the, the frog in the kettle doesn't even know it's being boiled because it's just been in there for so long. The life we've lived, you know, that we've been in, we've just been in it for so long, we don't even know that it looks like something like this. It looks like swimming in seaweed. It looks like being an angry, bitter person raging against the culture, raging against everything they come into contact with. It looks like living a life of having, of color being illegal, of the very things that our children love being illegal, the thing that delights their innocent hearts, that delights their creation and their creativity, that of it being illegal. We don't realize that we're living in that kind of world. And so the Holy Spirit is so good to give us dreams and incredible stories like this to make us see what we're, what's really going on because we can identify with it and we can see so much. So this daughter is in an incredible position, right? I mean, do you hear when you hear the story, what do you hope for her? You know? Do you hope that she will say, "Oh my gosh, I have been I realize now that I have been so inwardly conflicted as I I was charging out to live my life, to find my destiny, my purpose, to live the life that I thought would be good. I knew that seaweed was no good, but I find that my feet are tied together. Because on one hand, I've been trained to be bitter and hate the culture I'm trying to be a part of. And on the other hand, I'm scared to death about what it's going to do to me if I dare speak up and say something should be better. And so I can't go anywhere. I, can't, I don't want to go back to the seaweed, but I don't want to stay here either because I can't go forward. I can't do anything. And it, when Tisa was talking, it occurred to me that imprinting, this is one way we're all imprinted on, like she said, even the eagle is imprinted on by the chickens, even though it's a completely different animal, right? So we're all imprinted on. So if our imprinting doesn't, our imprinting should propel us forward into purpose and destiny and freedom and wholeness. So if we're, if our imprinting instead handicaps us and paralyzes us, then something's wrong. There's something about that operating system that is holding us back from operating in our true design. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's really been talking to me lately about the value of human life. And, and we've touched on it all the time here. But you have to understand what God created when he created you. When he created a daughter, when he created a son, it was, like Tisa said, an opportunity for him to be a father on display for the whole world. Think about it like this, that he's up in heaven and he's created this earth and he says, the way I will come and influence and touch the earth is through them. That's my portal. That's, they are my gateway to touch the earth, to change the planet. That daughter, that son is my access point. I'm going to flow through them. I'm going to flow through them, and not just by them serving me and doing a bunch of tasks for me, but by being fathered by me, because the beautiful creation that comes from being fathered is a display of my glory, naturally, without trying. And so that's the opportunity that this daughter has. And I, you know, we pray, we pray, and I, we all pray here for all of you, and we have to fight for it ourselves sometimes in our own lives, our own battles our own journey to stay on that path of clinging to the one who came to lead the way, clinging to the one who will untangle the things that have kept us bound to, un to undo the imprinting that was on us that actually handicapped and paralyzed us. Now, these are things that this is not to not fuel for hating on anybody or, you know, being resentful towards anybody. This is about spirits, generational spirits. And if there are, if, if those who raised us or imprinted on us were orphans the entire time, then they imprinted orphan things on you. 
you know, I have to acknowledge that as the, the part, the, a big part of the time, as I was actively a parent, had a child in the home, I was an orphan. Now, I came to learn something different, and I tried to change what was being imprinted on my child at that time, but there was a portion of time I was an orphan, and I imprinted orphan things on my child, and that has to be undone. That has to be removed from their design, and so we all need that. And Jesus is the one that can do it. He's the one who is pre-planned, pre-provided just for that thing. And he can just pull that imprinting right out of us and imprint us with something else that feels like freedom and actually propels us. Have you ever been having fun? Like children are great at this. They're, they're having a good time and they don't even know they're running. Like, like that's why parents have to say, stop running in the house. Because they didn't sit there and say, I think I'm going to run through the house right now. They just found themselves running because of what was happening. What they're, fu- they're having fun with their siblings. They're having a good time. They're excited. The skipping turns into running. And, you know, just one thing happens. That is how we are meant to go forward into our destiny. It's not because of striving and trying to fight, fight, fight to propel yourself forward. It's by receiving the fathering that God is so desiring to give. And then we find ourselves running out of that delight that we sang about today. We experience him as our delight, his perfect ways. We experience him as our delight, and we find him saying the same thing back to us. And so it is a a very serious construction process, though. I think the design and remodeling girls could tell you they don't get halfway into a project, then just decide to do what they feel like the next time they get to the job. Like, you have to be deliberate And stay on task, and you have to keep the goal in mind, and you have to remember why you're doing what you're doing. You have to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Now, this for me, this um, story is um, still unfolding for me, and it's still the Holy Spirit keeps bringing it back to me. When I first wrote the dream down, I didn't realize its connection to me personally. But after thinking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, there it is again. You know, there it is. I, I, that resonates with me because he has to keep telling me, keep reminding me of my reason and, and keep building the solid foundation under me for my future, for my purpose, for my destiny. Like I said, not to create resentment or anger or those kind of things. They don't help us. Those things don't help us go forward. But to build up a solid foundation that we is secure and solid and that we recognize the difference between how I feel now, how I felt then, how, how well my life is moving forward now, how it wasn't then, you know? And we have to learn to value it like he values it because it's too easy for all those, the reasoning of all those imprinting to not value what he's doing in the construction process of our lives. Because as the frog in the kettle, we don't think it matters that much. So we need to see the big picture often. We need to receive those, those things that hammer against the thing that was built up in us so that we can agree with him when it comes time to set those pieces aside and allow him to build something new. So, Papa, we just thank you. Thank you for the way you speak, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the amazing creative design of your heart and the way you speak to all of your people and that you reinforce us. There's nothing dull about you. Anyone that says that being a Christian is dull is so far off. They just haven't encountered you because you're so dramatic and you're so creative and we love it. We love it, love it, love it around here. We love it. We just love it. We embrace it. And so we just thank you. We thank you for the way that you are. We thank you for your design. And we thank you for being so passionate and devoted to seeing us in our design and our true design. So we thank you so much. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would seal this message up, that you would give us constant reminders of this incredible abundance that you have poured out for us, for this incredible opportunity to be a to be a holy temple for you for this incredible opportunity to have leaders and others and people around us as a community of believers to help build us up in our construction process to realize that we don't have to do it on our own and we thank you for the incredible promises that you will always 
remind us of. I thank you, Holy Spirit. It's probably one of my favorite things about you is that you search the heart of the Father that I don't fully know yet. You search the heart of the man, the God who is trying to father me. You search his heart and you whisper it in my ears at night. You whisper it to me and through the voice of other people, through things I'm reading, through things I see. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that for everyone in the room in the way that they personally need. I pray that you do it in such an incredible way that they don't even know it's happening. They don't even have to recognize that it's connected to this message and to what was prophesied or released tonight. We just want you to do it, Holy Spirit, and we want them to receive the benefit of it. So we praise your name. We love you. 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 We will forever love you. We will forever love you. And it's your mighty name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.